You'll take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Well, we had a missionary in our class this morning, and it was just very good. He, uh, he is a product of the mission field. An American missionary went over to the Philippines, won his entire family to the Lord. I think he said uh, three or four of his family members now are in the ministry, and uh, they were uh, Roman Catholics. And uh, the Lord saved them. An uh, American missionary went over there. And now he's going back to the Philippines to be a uh, church planner. So praise the Lord for that. We'll hear from him this evening. Uh, his name is Brother Catalan. And then also we have uh, the Booth family. They're from here local in Arlington. And I'm excited to hear from them. They're going to Chile. And uh, just so excited about what the Lord's doing in our missions conference so far. Uh, the Lord has been uh, using this missions conference so far in my life. Preacher preached a fantastic message on Wednesday night. If you weren't here, it's just, uh, uh, it just a really powerful, convicting message uh, and uh, challenged me. And I tried to uh, apply what the word of the Lord uh, was, uh, spoke to me that night. So just thankful you're here this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Preacher asked me to preach for no particular reason, but he said that... Uh, on account of my throat, you know, with the singing and the preaching and Sunday school class, he said, on account of my throat, I better uh, uh, be quick this morning. Really, he said, because he was going to cut it if I didn't. So, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 1. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. Do you know you're called to the ministry? Every child of God is called to the ministry. And therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Notice verse number three. These words are so challenging. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Verse number four, the Bible says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. See, every day I meditate or am conflicted with this singular burden. It's that our church has been given so many blessings from God. You cannot but drive over the hill here on 174 and see our properties and see our facilities and, and not see that God has done something in this place. And the buildings, you know, anybody can build buildings, but 
the buildings are representative of God using his people throughout the years. And God has done great things through a lot of really wonderful people, but they were just sinners saved by grace. And God did great things through them. I have lived this life personally because I grew up in the home that I grew up in. I mean, I respect my dad. He's a wonderful man. He's a smart man. He's a wise man. Uh, I got the looks, but, you know, uh, but I respect him beyond any measure of words that I could say up here. But I do clearly, fully recognize that he has all of these things, but I can just attest What's been done here was not because of his ability. Now, he's got ability, but you don't build people and, and plant a church in an area and, and, and change families and lives by knowledge or wisdom or, or even talent to preach God's word. That's only a, a transformation that the Lord Jesus himself can make in someone's life. And so I can fully well say he's a great man, but... God didn't do this because of him. He did it in spite of him. And I I look at these buildings and I look at the people and I've had a a real hand in this. And now I'm uh, tasked with uh, being the pastor of the church and I'm I'm tasked with this thought. How do we allow this to continue? I don't want our best days to be behind us. We're to be looking unto Jesus, looking forward to the author and finisher of our faith. And so I don't want us to always be uh, living in revisionist history where we say, oh man, those old times, they were just always the best. I was there and some of them were good, some of them weren't. We were talking yesterday, the Hatfield and McCoy campaign was awesome. The first go round, second go round, not as much. You see, uh, we've had some great days in the past, but I want to be looking forward to what God's going to do in the future. And so every day I am tasked with this thought. How can we continue to influence our community with the gospel of Jesus? It, it, It overwhelms me at times. Because as I mentioned earlier... The Lord did not use my dad because of abilities. And so I just hope I'm not in God's way. Amen. And, and, and I, this, this burdens me. This is on my mind constantly. You say, yeah, but you talk about sports. Yeah, but in the back of that, I, I'm thinking, how do we influence people for the cause of Christ? People drive up and down this road here and they see our beautiful building. But the sad reality that we must acknowledge this morning is that people living within eyesight of our church building will die and go to hell because they do not have a clear understanding of the gospel. You see, we're in missions conference and we certainly want to cast our vision to the uttermost parts of the world and that's great. Uh, This evening, as I mentioned, we'll have a missionary from Chile and a missionary going to uh, uh, the Philippines. We had a missionary from Mexico last, or going to Mexico and a missionary going to Japan last week. I mean, we are looking to the uttermost parts of the world, but lest we uh, forget, there are people here too that, that will not understand that Jesus died to save them. And I mentioned earlier that this thought just burdens me constantly. It's like a, a, a burr in, 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 under my skin at all times because I, I'm concerned about it. it. It plagues me. 
But the reality is, this is not just my ministry. This is our ministry. And I want to take a look this morning at three truths regarding our role in the gospel ministry. Our role. Notice, we, we, all, we like to place it on the clergy's plate, but reality is it was the laity's responsibility every bit as much as it was the clergy's responsibility. He did not give the Great Commission to the pastors of the church. He gave it to the members of the church. And so let's learn what our roles are regarding the gospel ministry. Notice number one this morning, we have been given the gospel. We have been given the gospel. Notice in verse number one. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. And if you're not entirely sure who we are, he goes on to clarify this statement. He says, as we have received mercy. You know who the people that are called into the ministry of the gospel are? People who have tasted of the mercy of God. As we have received mercy, we are called to the ministry of the gospel. In fact, verse number 4 calls it the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And how many can say this morning, our gospel is truly glorious? In fact, I think even as wonderful and as splendid and as magnificent as that word is, glorious, I think it undersells it to some degree. The gospel that Jesus The King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of the universe, came down and wrapped himself in flesh to be born in a lowly manger. And and now we don't even really call, uh, Christmas is no longer about that, but God came to earth and he he lived 33 sinless years and, and he died on a cruel cross, not so that people could make art of it, not so that people could make movies about it, but he died for your sins and my sins. And it's the glorious gospel that brought our Savior all the way from glory to the pits of the earth, to the worst of the worst, and He saved lost sinners like you and me. It's a glorious gospel. And the Apostle Paul says, I received this just like you did. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I did receive. You see, he received this ministry and and he accepted this ministry because it was his responsibility. One of the great problems in modern day Christianity is we are all called to the ministry, but few people are accepting that call. We have to receive this fact that God has put us into the ministry. doesn't matter what you do for a living. You can be a plumber, but you better be a plumber for the Lord. You can be a, a, a contractor, but you better be a contractor for Christ. You can be a secretary, but you better be a secretary for the Savior. And so, so I don't know what you're called to, but I do know you are called to the ministry because you've received the grace of Jesus. And can you imagine as the Apostle Paul is writing these words, as we have received mercy, what might be going through his mind? Of all the conversion stories in Scripture, I I tend to like Paul's the best. I mean, Paul was about as far gone as anybody. In fact, last night I was reading about Ananias and his reaction to the Lord telling him, Hey, Ananias, uh, Saul's going to come. You know, the Saul you've been hearing about, reading about in the newspapers. That Saul, he's going to come and and you're going to lay your hands on him and he's going to receive his sight. And Ananias is like, Yeah, 
I've been hearing what he's been doing to those Christians in Jerusalem. That's not really the kind of guy. Saul was the guy that not even the church would have been praying for because they just thought he was too far gone. Saul was, Saul was the one that was killing Christians. Saul was the one persecuting Christians. And, and, uh, and then one day we read in Acts chapter 9 how he's coming down the, uh, the road to Damascus there and a, a light shines from heaven and knocks him down to the ground. And, and he says, uh, Lord, Lord, I like how Saul had no doubt who it was. Lord, what are you doing? You remember the conversion story of Saul. And then you can remember as it's like he's constantly referring back to the day when he got saved and, and the time when uh, God saved his soul. But uh, Paul says it like this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. You see, Paul was in the ministry like you and I are. But he goes on to say, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. Because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know why Paul was such a great soul winner? Because he understood the mercy of God on his life. And just in my brief time out door knocking and witnessing to folks, you know what I've learned? It's really hard to convince folks that they are not already going to heaven. You can, you can say, uh, uh, on a scale of zero to a hundred percent, how sure are you that you're going to heaven? And they might say something, you get this a lot. Oh, you know, about, yeah, I'd say 90, 90%. And you'll say something back to them. Well, don't you think that that's, a little bit too much room for error? I mean, you're gambling with your eternal security here. You're, you're gambling with whether you're going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And you'll spend as much time or more time telling them that the law has separated them from God, that their inability to always be right and do right and, and live right, their inability to do that, that, that has separated them from God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good. That's what the Bible says about us. And you'll spend more time convincing them of their need for Christ than you will telling them about how Christ saved them. And don't think that this hasn't permeated church culture either. Oh, we get saved and we get a little uh, experience under our belt. You know, we graduate from the, the milk of the word to the meat of the word and we get proud about it, don't we? I mean, I understand the deep things of theology. And we get so settled in our Christian life that it's as if we forget who we were before we met Christ. Paul was a good guy. I mean, uh, he, he was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, uh, he says, concerning the law, blameless. 
Meaning he was living an outwardly righteous life, but then once he's become acquainted to the mercy of God, what he understands is he was so far from him and what Jesus did to bring him to him only could be described by great mercy. What happens is we think that God got lucky when he got us. Like, I I finally submitted to his will, and boy, Lord, you sure lucked out on that one. And we do. this, This ideology permeates our minds as we think, you know, I may not be the worst of the worst. I I surely was not killing Christians. I wasn't the one consenting unto anyone's death. And we somehow compare ourselves to the righteous of the world and the heathen of the world. And we put ourselves somewhere closer to the righteous than we do the heathen. My friend, if you are going to really serve God like you need to, you've got to understand how far he had to reach down to lift you up. We were in that horrible pit. We were in the miry clay. But He has given us a new song and even praise to our God. He has brought us up out of that pit. And He had to reach way down for you. We have been given the gospel. And I took some courses in college uh, on comparative religions and, and false religions and cults. And, and there's certainly a lot to be said about them, but they all are different than Christianity. Amen. But they're not all different from each other. Right. You see, Christianity stands independent. If you go to every other world religion that I know of, you'll find that all of them's central theme is the improvement of man... For the pleasing of God. And somehow this will earn favor with God. And, and man, you'll see it when you're out witnessing to folks. You'll, they'll, they'll bring up this scale idea. As if, if their good works outweigh their bad works, then God will have favor on them. And there too, I think this idea has permeated our our church culture. We think that somehow if we are more righteous than we are unrighteous, God will be pleased with us. But Christianity doesn't say that you can somehow please God. In fact, it says altogether different. There is nothing you can do to please God. You are a lost, rotten, dirty, filthy sinner. And the Bible says worse than that. You cannot do anything to gain favor with God. So it's not only that you are a sinner, but you're going to keep being a sinner no matter what. And then the Bible tells us, but that's okay. Because God sent His Son to die the death you could not die. To bear the sins that you could not bear. To live the life that you could not live. And to pay the penalty that you could not pay. And that's the mercy of God. And that's the difference between Christianity. Is every other world religion says you must do to please God. But Christianity says it has already done that which was pleasing to God. It is mercy from the cross of Calvary. And we have been given this gospel. We have received this gospel. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul put it like this. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. This morning I have no doubt in my mind that there is a large majority of people in this room that have experienced the mercy of God. And you have at one point in your life called upon Him to save you from your sins. But I also have no doubt in my mind that there is someone here this morning that has never done that. And you have never bowed your knee and you have never confessed your sins and you have never said, Lord Jesus, save me. And you're still trying to play this game of, well, if I live right and do right and be right and and everybody looks at me and thinks that I'm right, if I do this, I can somehow please God. That will not get you any closer to heaven than, as the old kid's song says, the rocking chair. That's not going to get you there. And so this morning, the invitation will be given. If you want to be saved, you can experience the riches of God's mercy this morning. He offers it to all. He says, uh, uh, for God who is rich in mercy, uh, for God uh, uh, loved us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, if you're going to have any ministry in the gospel, what you must do first is accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We have received this gospel. So number one, we have been given the gospel. Number two, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll find that we should be living the gospel. Notice I apostrophed it because we needed to make it kind of rhyme. So living and given don't rhyme, but living and given do. So there we go. <laughs> verse number two. We have re- verse number one says, We have received this ministry because we received the mercy of God. And the ministry is that we would share with others this mercy that we've received. Verse number two, notice though, it says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And there's really two aspects to living the gospel life, is what Paul says. He says, number one, we should renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. Here's the great battle that every Christian faces. It is that our bodies become so used and acquainted to living for our own pleasures. The Bible tells us that we are seeking after the flesh of the lust, uh, the lust of the flesh. We are constantly motivated to pleasing our flesh. And here's the great difficulty. It's when we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, we realize very quickly, or we should, that pleasing ourselves can never bring happiness, but pleasing God can bring true joy. And so we, we realize this, but the difficult thing is our body had become accustomed to getting its way. Have you ever babysat for somebody whose kids were maybe not as good as yours? I do it every time I watch anybody else's other kids. Uh, but they'll come over and maybe they'll want candy. You say, no, we can't have candy. It's, 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 it's not bedtime yet. Or, you know, we can't have it. It's too close. <laughs> no wonder mine are good. 
they're sugar crashing at bedtime. But I'll, I'll say, no, we can't have candy. You know, it's right before supper. Or no, we can't do this. It's right before bedtime. And, and man, you'll get, you've seen it. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. But you know, like you go to the doctor and, and like they hit your knee and you kind of have like a reaction that's your reflexes. When I see this, it's like the doctor hits my arm right here and my fist begins to clench up. I don't understand. It's amazing. Nobody even actually physically touched me, but I think they call that Hulk syndrome. I'm not sure. Uh, Man, kids get so accustomed to getting their way. I'll tell you, my kids do it. I know that's surprising, my kids. But if my kids spend an exorbitant amount of time with the grandparents. Now, I think this is right. No, this is right. This is the way God meant it to be. When they go to the grandparents, they get everything they want so they can act like they love the grandparents more than the parents. But they'll go over there and... Man, Paul has got Thomas so jacked up on candy all day long. Good grief. He walks around with snot that's like sucker colored. It's unreal. And, and then they'll come home and, and we'll say, no, you can't have candy. It's right before supper. You know, they'll start cocking an attitude in your... This is so unlike you. What that is, is when you get accustomed to something, you begin to make that your normal expectation. And that's the problem is our bodies become accustomed. Before Christ, we are pursuing the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life and the lust of the eye. And this is our ultimate pursuit in life. And now you know Christ. And that's what this verse is saying. We have renounced. We have handed over the rights. We have renounced even the hidden things. You see, there are some things that are obviously sinful. And we can all look at them and say, yep, that's a sin. We know it. We can recognize that there's really not much debate on it. Even in a very immoral America, people say, yep, that's wrong. Most of us in the church wouldn't disagree that there's some things like, yep, that's not not godly. That's That's not pleasing to God. But this speaks of not the things that are publicly viewable, but the things that are only seen by you and God. The hidden things of dishonesty. This speaks of sins of attitude. You know, bitterness, anger, malice. You say, I don't have any of those. Okay, is there anybody you don't want to shake hands with? Is there anybody that when you see them coming, you kind of do a 180 and head the other way? This is pride. And we all battle that one. And the person that doesn't battle pride, boy, you got it bad. You see, these are sins that only we see. And here's the problem. When only we see them, we begin to accept them. And this passage says, if we're going to live the gospel life, we've got to get rid. This is surgical uh, submission. This is going to God and, and laying your heart on a platter and saying, Lord, I want you to take it apart. 
I want your word to remove anything in my heart that may not be pleasing to you. This is total surrender of even the hidden things. Search me, O God. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. That's what David meant in Psalm 51 when he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. It's not just enough to be outwardly uh, 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 submitting to things, but God seeks sincerity all the way to the core. This morning I could bring you an apple and show you how beautiful the apple is, but if I told you there's a worm in it, you'd want no part of it. What we've got is a lot of wormy Christians. Look good on the outside, but the inside is not right. And, and the Bible says we've got to hand those over to God. We've got to renounce the hidden things that only we see and God sees. The actuality of your character is realized not in those things which you don't do, but in the things that you would do if you knew you wouldn't be caught. You see, we've got to get rid of anything that would stand in the way of God using us. And Paul says that's the first step in living a gospel life, is that we would renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. But notice, secondly, he says, but by manifestation of the truth. This is a complete compare and contrast of Scripture. He says, uh, he says, we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. And the next thing is manifestation of the truth. You see, they're the exact opposite. We've renounced the things that only we see. And Paul says, the reason is because now we're going to live a life that is publicly on display so that others might see the change and effect that the gospel had in our life. Oh, growing up in a preacher's home, there was a bit of a, a glass house feeling where it seemed like uh, if I ever did anything wrong, you know, people, people would look at preacher. You know, if I acted bad in a basketball game, people would look at preacher and say, boy, he doesn't know how to raise his kids. Uh, he doesn't rule his own house well. There was a bit of a glass house feeling. But this passage, I truly believe, is saying every Christian lives in a glass house. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves. In other words, allowing others to look on our life and see if truly the gospel has had an impact in our life. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Would you believe, I, I get all sorts of weird phone calls up here at the church. I mean, weird ones. We've had folks call about... Uh, you know, bus drivers that can't make a turn the right way. I mean, we get all sorts of calls. Would you believe that this last week I had a call from someone in our community for the sole purpose of complaining about the way one of our church members treats them? As if I can do something about it. But they called, you wouldn't believe this person's so unkind. This person's so... Man, your faces are like, I hope it wasn't me. <laughs> Was it? <laughs> and you say, how ridiculous is that? Well, I thought it was a little bit as well. But I'll say this. Joshua Baptist Church, you represent something much larger than you. You represent not only our church, but more importantly, you represent the gospel's impact in the life of a person. Your life is on display. Someone once said, your life may be the only 
a, a Bible someone will ever read. Our daughters, they, they're all into art. They love painting and drawing and they make pictures all the time and they always want to hang them on the refrigerator. And some of them, I'll just be honest, are not very good. I know, my, my kids aren't as talented as yours. And I see people around town with these bumper stickers. My kid's an honor student. I want to say to them, my kid has trouble coloring inside the lines. You know, Bailey's okay if the whole thing is purple. That's fine. But we do. We put it on the refrigerator. Why? Because they want to display their work. Their work's not perfect, but it was their work. Christian, there ain't none of us perfect, but what the Lord wants us to do is put our lives on display. We're announcing the hidden things of dishonesty, and by manifestation of the truth, what, what really has occurred in our life, commending ourselves to every man's conscience. Letting them see that what we believe is not just belief, but it is actually gone inside of our core, and it affects every aspect and area of our life. See, we not only have been given the gospel, not only should we be living the gospel. Thirdly, there's a bit of a condemnation here. We have hidden the gospel. Verse number three, I'm telling you, this verse will eat you up, chew you, and, and spit you out. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. I guess it was about three or four years ago now, I had appendicitis. I didn't know what it was. Uh, um, and maybe it was two years ago. I can't remember. But I felt a little discomfort. And I tried to tough it out. I'd like to say it's because I'm tough. I'm just more t- cheap than I am tough. I don't want to go pay doctors. And so um, I just try to sit there and tough it out. But I could tell after about a day of dealing with this, this was not going away. So went in and sure enough, I had appendicitis. They rushed me right in. I think we went in about 5 o'clock, and that evening they did the surgery. And uh, I remember thinking as I was in the hospital bed recovering, how crazy. Appendicitis is not caused by anything in particular. I mean, it can be just something small, some small particle getting caught in in your uh, appendix. And and, and, and this is the thought I struggled with. If this was the early 1900s and I was in some little house on the prairie, I would have laid right there in my bed and died. I mean, this struck me because I didn't, I mean, this wasn't an unhealthy life that I was living. I mean, nothing directly was my fault. They just said, yeah, sometimes it happens. And as I understand, the procedure is pretty minimal. I mean, it didn't have a huge recovery time. It wasn't super invasive. And I just thought to myself, if I had been in some third world country, I would have died. My appendix would have ruptured and I'd have laid right there and everybody had been, you know, saying their prayers on me, burning some type of incense over me. I just thought this, it terrified me to be honest with you. But thank the Lord I was in America. Thank the Lord there were doctors around that were able to help. I mean, we don't have a perfect health system, but it's a lot better than the ones other people have. And so I was thankful that the medical instruments were there, and I was thankful that everybody could, with knowledge could be there to help me. And I was thankful for that. But really, 
What this verse is saying is, the people that need the gospel the most are going to lay in their deathbed and die if we hide our gospel. If we hide the ministry that we have, they're going to die. And they're going to be lost without the gospel that we are responsible responsible with for sharing with them. Uh, It's amazing that people live in America and, man, there's a church on just about every corner, it seems. But the reality is there are people that are in Joshua, Texas this morning that do not fully understand what it means that Christ loved them and died for them. They have a hodgepodge, muddy-watered view of religion. Uh, The number one reason why people don't come into the church is because they think it's full of hypocrites. Hey, I got news for them. They're right. God saved us. We're not perfect, but we're trying to live for Him. And and there are people in this building, or, or outside this building this morning, that do not understand that God does not want them to put some rigorous rules, or live this life with some rigorous rules. God only wants them because He loves them and gave the ultimate price to purchase their pardon. And yet, even in America... With churches on every corner, people will die and go to hell. If our gospel is hidden, it is hidden from them that are lost. The ones that need it the very most. Paul couldn't do this. Paul, I mean, Paul felt a personal responsibility. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Romans chapter 1, he says, I am debtor both to Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Friend, I want to ask you a question. Has your gospel been hidden? I mean, have you, maybe not by any intentional motive. Yeah, in fact, in verse number one, I think this is the primary reason our gospel is hidden. You'll see, he says, as we have received mercy, we faint not. You know the problem with most Christians? We've just fainted. We've just gotten tired. Maybe in the midst of the harvest and the labor for the harvest, we just, we just weren't seeing a lot of results and... You know, we tried and we, were, we tried to do the right thing. We tried to share the gospel. We tried to be the witnesses that we should be. But we just fainted a little bit. Has your gospel been hidden? It was uh, years ago. We had uh, uh, actually last summer, August of 2018. Uh, we took the youth department to a Oklahoma City youth conference. And uh, the last day, there was a pretty big gap there, about five hours or so, where we had to fill some time. And so uh, I had seen another youth group do this, and so I wanted to do it for the youth group. And we did what was basically a large scavenger hunt inside the mall. Now, this scavenger hunt was different because uh, in a lot of times you'll go and you'll, you know, find the water fountains or you'll go to the gap and you'll have to take pictures. You know, there's all sorts of scavenger hunts. But this scavenger hunt was unique in that it sent the workers ahead about an hour and a half before the teenagers got there. 
And the goal was that our youth workers would go and they would get in disguise. And the scavenger hunt was you had to walk the, the mall to find the, the youth workers. And you say that might be pretty easy, but really the costumes got pretty good. And so as the youth workers began to discuss what, what costumes we were going to have, uh, there was a lot of really good ideas. But when I came to pick my costume, a lot of the really good ideas were already taken. Brother Luke, I think, dressed up as an old man, and he silvered his hair, and he kind of hunched his back a little bit and walked around. He was pretty tough to find, to put a little facial hair on. And, and uh, uh, my wife turned gothic. I mean, I'm talking about, it still haunts my nightmares. Uh, she had the black eyeliner, the black lipstick, the white makeup. I mean, she had like the sleeve gloves. It was just, it was just creepy. She was the most beautiful goth I'd ever seen, though. <laughs> but, so I, I was struggling with what to do. And, like I said, all the good ideas were already taken. And so I began to think in my mind, what is in a mall that is not, you know, you see it and you just don't really think, oh, there, that stands out. Just something that could blend in, kind of in open, plain sight. And I thought, you know what's in every mall that I've ever been to? Mannequins. And so my idea was, I would dress up like a mannequin. So two weeks before we went to the youth conference, I actually went to Aeropostale in our Hewlin Mall. And I bought, I think it's some crazy number. I mean, just go to Walmart, parents. This is crazy. I think it was like $240 worth of Aeropostale stuff. But the cool thing was I actually went to their front window and took a picture of their mannequin. And then I bought everything that was on their mannequin. And so you'll see on the screens, this is what I looked like, standing outside the Aeropostale in Oklahoma City. (laughs) That's a morph suit. You know, you put it, it goes toes to head, all the way to the fingers. and, And it was unbelievable the reactions that people were given. I mean, people were walking right beside me. They had no idea. In fact, the best part of it. So, I'll tell you the end of the story. I'll come back. I got kicked out of the mall. I don't know. This guy just was really upset at life. I don't know what was his deal. Apparently, if you're in a mall, you have to be shopping. There is no other reason to be in a mall than just to shop. But either way... Uh, He got really mad at me, kicked me out of the mall. But, so, I only got to be there for about half an hour. Just like this, half an hour, standing there, didn't move, didn't do anything. We literally had a group of our kids, you know, they're so excited. They're they're looking for everybody. And we had a group of our teenagers, they were in like little groups of four and five. One of them walked right next to me and goes, whoa. That looks real. And walked right beside me. I mean, he was within feet of me. Man, that mannequin looked real. Now, we had a really good time. Um, It was a lot of fun. But my idea was, I think the best way to hide is hide right in plain sight. Blend in. So that nobody sees what I truly am. 
I don't know why, but somewhere along the way, in the course of history, Christians decided this was the best way to live their, their, in their world. We blend in. We, 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 we know what we are on the inside, but it's as if if we can just kind of go with everyone else in the crowd, nobody will see us stick out. And the Bible's concern is, the Apostle Paul writes, if our gospel is hid, it's hid from those that need it the most. If our gospel be hid, it is hid from those that are lost. I, I don't know how to tell you if you're currently hiding your gospel, but I'll just simply ask a question and we'll be done. If you're not hiding your gospel... When is the last time you confronted somebody with the gospel? When's the last time you just approached somebody and said, Hey, you know what? Something's really made a difference in my life, and I want to tell you about it. If our gospel be hid, it's hid from those that are lost. We're hiding in plain sight. That surely doesn't please the Lord.